Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by the new bestseller from TPS Publishing, 101 Places to Avoid Before You Die. Join us and discover why you should never consider going to places like Gary, Indiana, Stockton, California, Griffin, Georgia, and why you should avoid the entire state of Nebraska like the plague. This updated edition also includes a full-page layout demonstrating why you should not go to North Dakota in the winter or Tampa, Florida ever for any reason. Our newest masterwork also discusses why you should stay home instead of going to places like the DMV, the airport, the county fair, any buffet-style restaurant, or church on Wednesdays. 101 places to avoid before you die. Patent pending. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Swung. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair All-Americans in conjunction with MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag, you've heard us talk about it all summer long. It is the best place to go if you are looking to bet any sort of game, baseball game, football game, well, not baseball anymore, uh, basketball. If you want to bet college hoops, which is kind of the big thing nowadays, MyBookie.ag has all the lines you want. They have in-game betting. If you miss the start of that game, go to MyBookie.ag and you can bet quarters. You can bet whatever you want. It's right there. They're fast. They're reliable. They give you everything you need to make some money. MyBookie.ag. Go today. Use our promo code BRAVES25. Not only will they match your initial deposit up to $1,000, if you use our promo code, they will also throw in a free $25. So if you're good at what you do, you don't even have to use your own money. One more time, that is mybookie.ag. You know the website. Go there. Leave a little note saying that you heard it here on the Platinum Sombrero. Now, we are dead set in the AFL season right now. For Braves fans, that is good because we always need something to talk about and something to cover. So we reached out to some guys who are in Arizona, guys who are doing all the real work and all the real legwork, and we brought today William Bohr from MLB Pipeline and MLB.com. William, thank you for showing up today. We appreciate it. 
No problem, guys. Happy to do it. Happy to be here. Now, how long have you been covering the AFL? I have been covering the AFL probably, I'm trying to think, this is my fourth year? Fourth or fifth. This, uh, how is this year on par with some of the other ones? Last year, there was a lot of big-name stars. You got a couple this year, uh, which we're not really going to get into because I'm sure you are talked out of those guys. But overall, the talent level this year, how's it? Uh, how does it compare to some years past? I mean, yeah, last year was really loaded. Um, but I think there, there's always a ton, a ton of top prospects here. There's always a bunch of number ones from organizations. There's always a bunch from our top 100 list. I mean, I, yeah, last year definitely stands up, but this year there's a lot of a lot of big hitters as well, especially at the top when you mention them with Vlad Jr., Keston Hira, uh, Peter Alonzo. I mean, this year's class is just as loaded. And the funny thing is, you know, the, there's the big names. You just mentioned Vlad Jr. He's obviously the, the big guy, somebody who uh, – it's very rare for prospect evaluators to give a true 80 grade to anybody, and you could conceivably mm-hmm. give two to Vlad Jr., uh, Forrest Whitley, kind of the same way, who just dominates. But my favorite non-brave, I think, that I've been following, Nate Pearson has come out, and he has been throwing darts out there. Yeah, he – yeah, as you mentioned, the 80 with Vlad, he's our first-ever 80 hit grade on uh, MLB Pipeline. But, yeah, Pearson, th- obviously, he threw well in the Fall Stars game last weekend, and we hit 104 on the radar gun. That obviously got – everyone's attention and i think what was kind of crazy with him is he came out for the fall stars game and his first warm-up pitch hit 99 on the gun (laughs) and the guy i was sitting next to me the guy sitting next to me goes uh he just hit 99 with his first warm-up pitch we're probably going to be watching the gun a lot during his entire outing because obviously when he does that you're like whoa when a batter steps in the box Let's see what happens. Um, but then I actually saw him throw again yesterday. And since he wasn't throwing one inning, he obviously dialed it back. It was upper 90s, hit 100 a couple times. But yesterday was definitely his best start of the year. He struck out five through, por- through four perfect innings and lo- looked a lot better than he had. Because while the stuff's been good, he had been giving up a lot of runs in the fall league prior to yesterday. But I think part of that is... You know, he only pitched one and two-thirds innings this year and, you know, was kind of working his way back from stuff. So this was basically spring training in a sense for him. How does he fit now in the uh, in, in the rankings book? Because he, he did have some, the injury this year. I don't want to say he flew under the radar because people have been talking about the stuff with him since the Blue Jays took him. Uh, he's a big body. He's like 6'6 six, six and 250 right around there. Uh, but where, where do you rank him as far as, as top-notch arms? He's got to be climbing up there, right? Yeah, I think we'll see. Um, right now, although we haven't updated our list, he's our number 90 overall prospect. But I, the the thing that's tricky with him is he's thrown 21 and, a, 21 and two-thirds professional innings since he was drafted. So everyone kind of knows the stuff, but it's really the same report as when he was drafted just because the sample size isn't there. We're seeing a little bit of the fall league. And then we'll see a little bit in spring training and next year. But I think until we get a few months on him and he starts stringing some starts together, we're not really going to see where he's at. It's just, it's just tough with the sample size right now. Now we've been mentioning uh, some of these big name guys, Forrest Whitley as well. Uh, if you had to peg one, who's been your biggest surprise of the AFL? Biggest surprise? I think I think a couple on the I think a couple um, pitching wise. 
and not necessarily he's a big name prospect, but uh, Melvin Don, a, a Giants reliever, he's kind of a guy that just he throws really hard. You don't really notice him because the fall league is hitter friendly. He's not a big name, but he comes in and he just racks up strikeouts. I think he's at he's at 21 through 10 and two thirds innings. He's only given up one earned run in those innings. And just people don't get a lot of good swings against him. He's not super high on the list, but every time he comes in, he's effective. Um, Justin Lawrence is another one, a Rockies reliever. He, well, he had a rough outing in the Fall Stars game. Um, he throws really hard, really nasty breaking stuff. He's been impressive. And then um, Cole Tucker and Daniel Woodrow are some hitters. Tucker the Pirates number five prospects. You kind of heard about him throughout the year, but I hadn't, I hadn't seen him in person uh, until now. So he's just, he's impressed me living up to living up to the billing. And also, also as a person, every game after the game, especially because he's a Phoenix native, he always has a ton of people in the stands and he stays after he stays after every game signs, take photos with everyone. Yesterday was like 15 minutes after the game. Just when you do stuff like that, obviously it gets noticed. Daniel Woodrow, the other one I mentioned, was the is a Tigers prospect, and he's not he's that player that doesn't do anything flashy. He's not hitting for a lot of pop or anything, but just as you scan the box scores before I go home every day, it's there's always one hit here, two hits there, two hits here, two hits there, and you're just like, wow, you're you're always on base, you're always doing something, and when you keep doing that over and over, obviously it works out. Seems to be a, a good number of those guys coming through lately. Guys that aren't really high on lists, but that just kind of do little things there or are quiet through. You look up and they've got a, a 280 average or so, and it's a guy that was like the 40th ranked prospect. Seems like the the parity between talent. You always have guys like your Eloy Jimenez or Vlad's or Acuna's who just stand out. Uh, but then there, there seems to be a bigger increase of starting level players or, or – Valuable contributors, I would guess, I would say, farther and farther down lists. Is that you think you chalk that up more to just uh, the the evolution of the game, or just happens to be in a good stride right now? I think it's evolution of the game. I think one thing, like one player that jumps to mind that fits that mold from last year's fall league is uh, David Bodie. Obviously, not a big name prospect, but he's just always productive and came up and kind of filled the same role with the Cubs this year, where it's like. You're not a star, but you you do what's asked. You're super productive, and I think I think that's just players are getting better. I think the developmental curve is a little more sped up than it used to be. So I think you have guys that are ready. They maybe don't have the tools of some of the league guys, but they're ready to play. They have good approaches, and they're they're able to do what's necessary. All it's right. always cool to see some of the uh, some of the less heralded guys show up against the against the Vlads and the Cunhas and and all of those guys and really kind of show out. It's a it's a testament to how deep some of the farm systems really can be when you've got your 40th ranked guy who can show up and hang with another team's number one, number two prospect. Yeah, definitely, especially when you got organizations mainly think uh, Braves, Padres, White Sox, because then. Because then, obviously, the depth in theirs is their 30, their 40, or whatever is, you know, maybe another team's 20, 25. So I think sometimes when you get a lot, especially into those deeper organizations, you've got you've got guys that are pretty talented and would be would be ranked higher, and those are the guys that are fun to 
fun to see in the fall league. And I think, I think obviously you guys are Braves focused. If you want to talk about someone that's like that, um, Kyle Muller kind of fits that where he's really productive, had pretty good fall league, but when you got, you know, Allard, Soroka, Freed, et cetera, et cetera, Kyle Wright, you, you kind of do forget about some of those names. And you just brought up the guy that I wanted to bring up first in Kyle Muller. Uh, he really changed his style coming into this year. He was more of a straight over the top coming out of high school. Coming into this season, the Braves had him slotted a three-quarter slot, and it really, really improved his breaking ball. It actually gave him an actual curveball that he can use. And since then, it has been night and day difference with him. He's a big body. He's back to throwing 95. He's got that looper now. What does he when, – when you see him out in the AFL against a lot of these other guys, what, what was your impression of Kyle? He, lo- he looks good. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, 2018 breakout year for him, and you know those changes really paid dividends, and you're, you're seeing it here. Uh, he hasn't given up a run in five straight appearances, 13 strikeouts in nine innings. So I think, you know, he's he's effective. Uh, he's he's getting outs. The one thing that's here, but again, it's small sample size, nine innings, is he has walked seven. Um, so that's something to kind of keep an eye on. But but otherwise, otherwise, he definitely looks good here. He looks the part of a top prospect, and he's probably someone that would be a top 10 guy in most organizations. But when you've got the depth, especially the pitching depth, depth of the Braves, you're definitely going to fly under the radar a bit. Now, uh, Muller's kind of the big-name pitcher that's there for the Braves. It's not as star-studded as it has been in years past for the Braves, but there is one guy who everybody's fairly divided on, and that's Christian Pache. Full disclosure, we are gigantic Pache fans. Uh, I've said before that he has the tools, not that he would get there, but he has the tools to be a more complete player than Ronald Acuna. Uh, the real question on him seems to be, will the power start to show up in games? And he hit nine this year, which obviously a career high since he'd never hit a professional home run. Looking at him out there, you get to see the batting practice. You get to see the actual swing. What's your impression of Pache? Is the power legitimate there? Is it going to be league average, or is he going to be more of an ender-type hitter? Well, when you go from zero to nine, it's a good sign. You increase it ninefold or whatever. Um, the, the power, I think, as far as home runs, I think probably – Average, maybe slightly below. Um, but the thing is, with his speed, if he can hit gap-to-gap power, um, obviously not home runs, but you could still get a lot of doubles and triples, and I think that that could work. Um, you mentioned the, the Acuna comparison. Uh, we actually asked him about that earlier in the fall league. He pretty much wanted nothing to do with it, you know, <laughs> gave, the, gave the cliche and said, that's great, and... I hope I'm as good as Ronald. He's fun to watch and fun to watch and model my game after. But he's, I, I, I do think he could be a player similar to Ronald. Um, definitely a better fielder than him. Are already great in the outfield. I think we have a we I think we have a seventy on him uh, defensively, and that that is definitely translated. Uh, I've been really impressed with what I've seen of him in the outfield in the fall league for sure, and it's fun to. With that speed, it's fun to just watch him run and track down balls. If I were to throw Lorenzo Kane out there, would that be kind of the realm that you're talking about as far as, you know, about 15 type of home runs, but a lot of doubles, a lot of triples, and plus-plus defense? Yeah, that's actually that's actually a really good comp. Um, obviously, the Acuna comp gets in there because of, you know, just Braves, Braves, and 
similar ages and all that. But yeah, Lorenzo Cain's probably a good one where mm-hmm. where he has a little pop in his bat, but I don't think he's hitting 25 homers or anything like that. So we are in the time of year where trade speculation is kind of running rampant. And Braves country seems kind of divided between whether you trade Pache or whether you keep him. Um, and a lot of that has to do with uh, with projection. He's He could be a major league caliber uh, defender right now, but the bat is still a work in progress. So let's say that you are the GM of a team and you are given the opportunity to acquire either a frontline pitcher or a big bat you could plug into your lineup right now. Do you use Pache as an asset or do you hold on to him? Do you believe that he is going to get get to that point? If I, I do believe he's going to get to that point, but the the team already got to the got to the playoffs. Um, the rest of the division, especially if the Nationals lose Harper, the division's winnable. So I think if you have a frontline guy that you can go get, maybe with a couple years of control or something, I, I would go get it just because these opportunities and where the Braves are at, and you don't necessarily know how long your window is going to be open. Um, so I kind of like, I think aggressiveness gets rewarded. Uh, so I would, I would go for it if you have the opportunity, but I'm not going to fault anyone for hanging on to Pache either. Cause I, I do think he gets there. Which of the two? Cause the other, the other big question is which of the two between Pache and Riley you actually keep. If you're Alex Anthopoulos, which is the one that you keep and which is the one that you would deal? I'm sorry, Pache and who? Austin Riley. Oh, I, I would keep Pache. All right, cool. Um, just, We're friends now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> just 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 defen- just defensively um and with Riley some some of the strikeouts uh kind of discouraging. Um there's just a lot of swing and miss there. Uh I I would definitely keep Pasha of the two, but I mean I think both of them are solid prospects. Riley obviously has the pop. Now, those are the two big name guys. There's also Quietly, there's one of my favorite overall players in the entire system, and he's not super highly ranked. I think he's 22 on y'all's list. Is Izzy Wilson? Israel Wilson is a guy that I I characterize as every tool that you could possibly want, but also maybe the most raw prospect the Braves have seen in like five years out there. And in, in the AFL, it is that exact same story. Uh, super low batting average, but he's hitting the ball hard everywhere. It seems he just hit a homer and a triple yesterday, I believe. Uh, when you look at Izzy Wilson, you see the 6'3", 200 frame. He's got light tower power. Uh, he's fast. He plays good defense with a good arm. What do you see? What What do you see Izzy Wilson becoming? And is he a guy that you think will ever actually perform to the level of his tools? He's interesting, and he hasn't. I'm trying to think. I think I've only seen him twice. He's only played eight games out here. Um, because, like you said, you you watch batting practice. And then you're like, wow, this guy should be something. I wonder what he did do. And then, so then you, you know, go, you look up his stats or whatever. And then you're like, oh, why has he only done this? Um, so he's kind of he's an enigma. Um, I I think probably utility type. The thing is, he's 20, so you do got to keep in mind that obviously he's still young. But it's one of those things where not a ton of players always live up to their ceiling. Um, And that's not even, it's not necessarily even a knock on players. It's how many people in general live up fully, fully to their ceiling of anything in life. It's just hard to do. 
Um, so I think with someone with all the tools, I don't know if he necessarily becomes a superstar that he's capable of being, but maybe he does stick in the majors and he hits hits for an okay, maybe low average, but is a really plus-plus glove or something like that. Like the, the tools are there. He can definitely contribute, but I don't know if he reaches like superstardom. With his age, it is nice to see that he hasn't just completely gone in the tank when he's been out there. He, you know, he's still got the 860 OPS and uh, got a, you know, five extra base hits in those eight games. So he's still contributing a, a decent amount, but he's got a, got his strikeouts down, which is which is going to be huge for him. Yeah, and I think part of that's an an age thing because I mean he only got to Florida this year, and then obviously you're facing you're facing elite pitchers in the AFL. So part of it. Part of sending him out here could have been the Braves kind of trying to expedite his development and putting him in an environment where he's probably overmatched experience-wise. Um, the tools are there, but obviously he doesn't have a ton of experience and a ton of reps against guys of this caliber. So I think the fact that, yes, the batting average is low, but the fact that he doesn't look just totally out of place or anything like that is probably a good sign. And Kyle Muller gets all the all the publicity as far as the lefties go for the Braves. But Thomas Burroughs has been lights out now for, for this full season, a uh, little bit into last year, and so far in the AFL. Uh, is he a guy that you think could be a, a real contributor this season? Yeah. Um, what is he at in the fall league right now? I've got it. 13 strikeouts, 11 innings, gave up three runs his first outing, and everything else has been – nothing but zeros. Um, so that obviously, that obviously bodes well. Three, three levels this year, 86 strikeouts and 67 innings. Um, the, the thing is he did issue a 36 walks this season, which if you're pitching out of the bullpen, maybe you can get away with it. Obviously as a starter, you need to cut that down, but he does throw enough strikes. And the other thing with, if you have him this year out of the pen, there's two plus pitches with his fastball, fastball and a slider. Uh, so he, he can definitely get people out. You would like the commands to be a little better, but that's something that obviously people can work on uh, that can come with time. Right, right now, though, I do think he has the stuff to get people out. Uh, the command will probably determine whether he can get people out consistently or not because obviously if you start stacking up blocks or missing pitches, you're going to get into trouble really fast, especially against major league hitters. And we have one more guy, by the way, and we'll we'll get to Doc's here in a second. But Braxton Davidson is a running joke here in Braves country. Um, but you look at what he's done in the AFL, and it's – I don't want to say that it's funny because it's always great to see a guy go out there and perform the way he is. It's really easy to forget that Braxton is still young. But Braves have seen enough from him, or at least Braves fans have, to have a picture of what we think he is. But for somebody that doesn't have eyes on him all the time, you see him out there in the AFL. What does he look like to, to you out there when he's out there hitting four straight home runs? Yeah, what was that? Four homers and five at-bats or four homers and six at-bats or something like that. Because um, I know it was back-to-back two homer games. The thing is, yeah, the, the power is there. And he puts on a fun batting practice. Um, the issue is, aside from the power, at least offensively, there's not much else. Um, I think he's just struck out 23 times and 48 at-bats this year, or this fall league. That's not something you want. 
he just doesn't look he, he's uh what's a good term boomer bust basically um if he's not going yard or doubling or something then that's there's nothing nothing special is really not looked comfortable at the plate at all I think I'm looking at it now five homers and a double so six of his 11 hits are for extra bases so I mean it's yeah he, he struggled he's definitely struggled and I know that's kind of been the thing with him before is that he's always had power and that's kind of showing out here as well so I think I think the way, what the Braves have seen and what Braves fans think of him is probably realistic at this point. I think it's always fun I mean, to see a guy go out there and perform better there because he was a first round draft pick. A lot of people forget like he was he was a a, a fairly touted high school player when he came out, and he was kind of talked about as having an elite eye. Um, but you you don't see it a whole lot, and he has these weird swings where he'll have a month where he hits twelve homers. Uh, he'll have a season where he gets hit with the ball 32 times, but I, I've, I very much hesitate to say that you can call him a prospect when you talk about strikeout rates that are that extreme. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to give up on someone who's still fairly young. Um, and especially someone who you invested a first round pick in, but I agree with you as far as he's definitely not a, a top guy in any system until he can cut down the strikeout rate and do something other than hit home runs. And it was such a bizarre pick from just from the start, because even just based on his body type, even coming out of high school, I think that it was fairly obvious that he was going to wind up moving to first base. So if you're a, a one-tool defender, you know, you can't really move over to third or, or even man the outfield. I mean, you've only got one tool on offense. I mean, this is what happens and, and leads to uh, three consecutive years spent in high A. So, but they stuck with him. They've been they've had a really short leash for for some of the other guys that uh, that they invested some time in, and then just said, okay, well, good luck elsewhere. And uh, they're still on him. It's been four and a half years now, so they, I guess, they still see something. Well, they probably still see the power because um, obviously power is always intriguing. But I wonder, because you mentioned since it was the 2014 draft, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, I just w- I wonder if after this fall league, unless he you know just goes crazy in the final week after this fall league, and then maybe midway through spring training or something, if that's kind of when the line of demarcation is. I was wondering if it was more about the fact that the Braves are not very deep first base wise. In the minors, there's no real prospect that he's blocking or anything. Uh, I'm comfortable with saying that they, at the very least as of right now, Grayson Janista will be playing an outfield role for for the Braves. I think uh, eventually, maybe with who knows as Freddie gets older, Janista might be a guy that moves to first base. But as of right now, I think it's more along the lines of see if you can get him to at least develop the ability to walk and get on base consistently and uh, make enough contact for that power to matter. But I, I, I struggle trying to find somebody that I look at. Maybe Adam Brett Walker is the same type of way, where if he connects, it goes a really, really long way, but it, the, the connection is just not there. Overall, from the Braves, though, from, from the guys that you've been seeing out there last year and this year, uh, what, what is your, what's your take so far on, on the line of demarcation? Are the pitchers and the hitters, what, who are your favorites? 
over the past two years, well, uh, that Acuna guy was pretty good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> heard he's good at baseball. Uh, I mean, he was he's got to be the favorite because last year he won MVP here, something that Pache said he wanted to do. It's probably not gonna, but obviously a good goal. Because um, he, you could tell even the way, kind of the way that Glaber Torres stood out two years ago, um, where Acuna was just, you're like, you're, you're just better than people out here. Because um, obviously there's a lot of top prospects, a lot of people here that are highly rated, but every now and then you get one who just looks different, the ball sounds different off his bat. And um, Ronald was definitely that, pers- that person last year. Ball sounds good off. I mean, Davidson's bat in BP too, but then not in the game, or it doesn't even hit the bat in the game. <laughs> All right, we're uh, we're actually running pretty low here on time. We got to get you out when we said, but I'm going to throw one more uh, one more question, and this is probably going to be the hardest question I've asked you. Um, you are a GM, Ronald Acuna or Vlad Guerrero Jr. Who is the one that you take? I take I take um, I probably take Acuna just because of position. Um, I like Vlad, and his hit tool is ridiculous. He's putting a hundred mile per hour exit velocities on like everything. It seems like, but I'm not sure if he I'm not sure if he sticks at third. Um, I don't think he will. Then do you move him to first base? Do you what do you do with him? You've got to, I don't want to peg someone as a DH when they're 19 years old. Um, that seems kind of ridiculous. So while he may be a better hitter than Ronald, he's not better enough to offset the defense, if that makes sense. It does. Basically, you're saying that Ronald is the better overall player, while Vlad has the better singular tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Vlad absolutely can rake. Um, the, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous when you watch them out here, just the sound off the bat, the number of hundred mile an hour exit velos. I know all the games at salt river fields, which is the spring home of the D backs and Rockies is equipped with Statcast, So it's kind of fun to see whenever the surprise team is there. I just watch all those exit velos, but even on the games that aren't, I've usually tried to find someone operating a track man system or some other way to get some data and just, I mean, it was a ground out yesterday, but I think it was at like 110 and just, he's just crushing balls. He, that's he hit 117, didn't he? In the, in the yeah. At the, at the fall stars game, that was the double off the wall. Wow. That's gotta be just yeah. flat out frightening for a pitcher. That's like facing a guy with a metal bat. Well, in, this was probably this is definitely the scariest moment. I think it was the first or second week he hit a line drive off of a D backs reliever, Tyler Mark. He hit a line drive right off his face and it was a uh, one fourteen exit vela. The oh, ball man. like I heard the crack in the in the press box. The ball actually went from the pitcher to the dugout and Vlad got a ground rule double. Like it was it was ridiculous. That is uh that is insane and uh it's kind of weird though when you look at when you look at Vlad Jr. you look at his dad they have two totally different approaches at the plate whereas Vlad Sr. was the best horrible pitch hitter I've ever seen in my entire life. We talk about him singling off a ball that literally bounced in front of the plate. Uh, Vlad Jr. does not does not have 
that type of that type of swing. When it's all said and done, who do you think is going to end up being better? And I don't I don't like comparing a Hall of Famer to a guy that hasn't taken a pro a, a pro at bat yet. But I, I you have to obviously imagine that those two are going to be compared forever. Yeah, I think it's funny. That was one of the things that, like, the first time I saw Vlad kind of surprised me is just because you go in with this just knowing knowing what his dad's approach of the plate was, which was, you know, see ball, hit ball. And it almost seems like it's a, uh, hey, son, do as I say, not as I do sort of thing. Right. Um, like, actually look for balls in the zone. Like, the fact that Vlad takes walks, I'm like, huh, were walks even, like, a thing in your family? But, um yeah, as far as who would be better, I don't know. I mean, I'll say senior just because I think going with the guy that's already in the Hall of Fame seems like the easy guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Vlad has obviously a lot of tools. The crazy part is he's still 19. Um, his birthday is in March, so he'll make his major league debut at 20. Uh, so that's obviously impressive. But I, I think it's hard no matter how much he raked in – the minors last year and how well he's hitting out here. It, it's hard to be compared to a, a hall of famer. I mean, his dad obviously set the bar ridiculously high. He'd probably be one of the few since King Griffey jr. And King Griffey senior to actually outplay his father. You don't see that happen a whole, whole lot in baseball as weird as that sounds. No, you're right. I mean, not yeah, Even across all sports. I mean, there's a couple, but, but yeah, in baseball, I'm trying Yeah, in baseball, Outside of Griffey, I can't really think of a ton offhand. Maybe Prince Fielder, depending on how you feel about Cecil. Uh, yeah, that'd be a good one. Uh, Bonds, but um, but yeah, it doesn't. It's not extremely common at all. It's you know, it's not a Braves prospect, but he's obviously the biggest prospect out there. So that's why we're kind of fawning. When Wander Samuel Franco gets out there, I'll be even more fawning over him. But. I'm That'll hoping be an exciting one for sure. I'm hoping you're still out there so we can have some eyes and ears out there as well. Uh, we got to let William go here. He's got a busy man out there in the AFL. But I want to say again, thank you so much for coming on with us. Uh, a lot yeah, of fun getting to talk to you, man. Hey, anytime. Happy to do it. Big thanks again to our guest, William Bohr from MLB.com and MLB Pipeline for joining us for a live look at the AFL. Uh, as we mentioned, a lot of good stuff going on out there. And my boy Izzy Wilson putting things together, hopefully. Hopefully we'll see his numbers turn around a little bit. But that is the prospect side of things. We have some more to talk about as far as the Braves go. Golden Gloves were just given out. uh, And the Braves got three of them. And two of the names are probably not the names you were expecting. Of course, Ender wins a gold glove because that's what Ender does. And if Ender was not winning gold gloves, he would be useless. I say that with all love. Um, (laughs) Freddie Freeman gets a gold glove at first base. And that's one that I'm actually I'm really proud of the growth that Freddie's made. Freddie's always been a phenomenal scooper at first base. He's always had the great stretch. He's always been able to pick balls out of the dirt. The thing that Freddie's gotten so good at though is actually fielding the position. For the longest time, Freddie was not a good defender. He was just he was good at picking, which is, you know, a more important skill for a first baseman than actually being a defender. But there's no question now that if you're going to talk about fielding first baseman, Really, the only one I can come up with that is better or on par is Paul Goldschmidt, and that is that is a testament to Freddie. No, he made some real highlight real plays over the years, and you, and you're right. Like the the scooping has always been a been a real talent of his, and and the stretch because he's such a such a long human, then you know it makes it look like he's making bigger plays than he might actually be. But you're right, he has made big strides. So 
Uh, so good for him. That's the first one of his career. Is he the best fielding first base on the Braves have, have, have ever had? Uh, well, he's certainly better than Andres Galarraga. I'll say Adam uh, LaRoche is another one that people forget how good he was defensively. Adam LaRoche was a fantastic defensive first baseman. Yeah, he was. He really was. I'm trying to think beyond that. Nothing's really standing out too much about like McGriff's defense. or um, Griff was not a strong defender. Yeah, well, maybe I'm just blocking out painful memories. So, yeah, you, you might be on something. I, th- I think at this point I would say that Freddie's the best fielder. And it, it's such a bonus to have a 6'5 guy who can stretch and move that way because it covers up so many bad throws from the infield. That's why a lot of the Braves infielders don't carry a lot of errors. Uh, it's also like that That to me is, is maybe the most important part of a first baseman's job is to fix the mistakes of his fielders around him. Uh, but that one's fantastic. The other one is Marcakis. And while I'm happy that Marcakis, who, by the way, is having just an incredible year, is he also won a silver slugger for right field. Um, I don't know if it was just the feel-good year for Marcakis or if it was because the other really good defensive right fielders like Jason Hayward um, – and even and even a couple of the others who were kind of slipping my mind, but they played they kind of played a lot of time in center field as well as a lot of teams started kind of moving outfielders around as far as you know platooning and things like that. I wonder if that helped Nick get a Gold Glove since he played more innings in right field than than the defenders who were better than him. I think it's a, a perfect storm of things. You know, you saw him taking out that card and always referring to you know where am I supposed to be for this guy versus that guy and. You know, that, that definitely helped him out a lot. And I, I'm sure that I'm uh, not having quite as much competition. But I I don't know. I, I thought that his defense was way better this year, but I certainly did not think it was gold glove worthy. Uh, but, I did uh, not think it was that good at all. Marquecas, as he usually does, is great at getting the balls that are hit right to him, and he's really good on the slide. Not the dive, on the slide. Marquecas might be one of the best sliding defenders I've seen. Uh, he always seems to judge it perfectly, and it, it's a lot more difficult than it looks for those of you that haven't had to do it out there to judge where that ball is going to land and make sure that you've actually got it set for the pocket rather than hitting you on the wrist is, is is a lot harder than it really does look out there. Everybody thinks that diving forward is a much harder play or diving is a harder play than sliding. Most of the time, that's not the case. Most of the time, a straight-up dive, because the glove is level with your eyes, it's a lot easier to, to judge. When you're having a judge based on where you're moving the glove that way, it tends to be a little bit trickier. Well, and the, the dive looks fancier, and, you know, you're, you're given the body. You Definitely know, looks way cooler. Uh, looks way cooler. Yeah, you're risking life and limb to make this make this circus catch. But he did make some really uh, make some really good catches. I, by, by no means is he, uh, is he Christian Pache out there, but he, he was way better in 2018 than he'd been in any, any of his other uh, time in Atlanta. And if you look at the stat cast, obviously you'll see that he was not good as far as you know range outs and things like that of balls that he should or percentage of balls getting to and things like that. Uh, he has definitely lost a couple steps out there, but you know it's, it's a good feel good story. And for anybody that fights over who gets a Gold Glove, I put a tweet out last week, and I'm going to reiterate it here. Uh, a Gold Glove is a popularity contest, and it is so far down on the list of things that you should be upset about uh, that it really doesn't bear mentioning. Like, gold gloves really don't mean anything. Uh, it's cool to get. It's a cool award to, to have on your mantle. But after you get the first one, like, after that, it doesn't really matter. Unless you see a guy like an Angleton Simmons or an Andrew Jones that do something like 10 straight, then then it's a little bit different conversation. But when you're talking about, oh, he won his third gold glove. Oh, well, Jason Hayward should have got it over him. 
it's not really that big a deal. A bigger deal is the fact that Andrew Jones only got like 5% of the vote and Omar Vizquel got like 32% of the Hall of Fame vote. I will never understand. We can start actively campaigning for Andrew for the whole next year. We'll bring Jay J- Jaffe on, and uh, we'll get. We him on need board. to because I need to talk to him about that. Like, dude, how I, I that, and I don't want to go off on a rail tangent, but I'll just say this: anybody that thinks that Omar Vizquel belongs in the Hall of Fame over Andrew Jones is an idiot, uh, or is just extremely biased because they were an Omar Vizquel fan. Because Omar Vizquel is a classic case of good, not great. That that's it. He played forever. That's why he got the numbers he got to. Andrew, if Andrew had played seventeen years. Then he would have you know the same numbers. I know Andrew's career didn't end well, and I don't want to go down that road, but whatever. Andrew Jones better than Omar Vizquel. That's the point blank period right there. Um, but I do want to talk about the silver slugger thing a little bit. And again, <clears throat> it's not really worth getting angry about because awards like these are are kind of superfluous. It doesn't really mean a whole lot. It does mean a lot though to the player when he gets his first one. And I'm just going to assume. I haven't done any research, Doc. Maybe you can back me up on this. But I'm just going to assume that this is Marcakis' first silver slugger. Uh, and that, to me, is is really weird. I It's got to purely be for the first half because the second half of the season, he was not the same hitter. And while I'm happy that he got the three-peat this year, he got his first all-star voting and what I think is his first silver slugger in addition to the gold glove. Good for Marcakis on a walk year. To do it at home is really cool for him, too. Uh I don't know if it speaks more to the fact that right field was more of a wasteland in the National League than I thought, or just that somebody felt good about, hey, let's send him on his way with something good. I mean, for a guy with a OPS of like 706 or something for the last two months of the season to come away with a an award that is dedicated to hitting, I mean, that's, uh, that's questionable. <laughs> but, you know, uh, maybe... The, let this bolster your Hall of Fame case, uh, Nick Markakis, because unless you get to 3,000 hits and win a World Series championship in the next couple years, you are going into the Hall of Very Good. Don't start that. Josh Brown will be out there campaigning Nick Markakis out of Young Harris for Hall of Fame forever. He's already in my driveway. He's got a sign. <laughs> He's got it painted on his chest. Uh, so mm-hmm. so that, that's a cool thing that a Brave got a silver. I'm assuming, was he the only Brave that got a silver slugger? Did Freddie get one at first base? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, for they give everything it to that I saw before. Yeah, I think that uh, either Goldie or or Votto. Rizzo, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of pretty pretty good first basemen in the uh, in the National League as far as far as hitting goes. So yeah, I think I think that Marquez was the only one. That's that's a little odd, but you know, whatever. It's good to see. Um, good to see a Brave get an award, even if we don't feel that he actually deserved that award. It's okay. We've seen it for a number of years. I mean, I'm still on the David Wright didn't deserve his Gold Glove award train, uh, but cool things to go. Not anything worth arguing about. Outside of that, though, there is some Braves news going on. Everybody's uh, everybody's heard by now that the Indians are open to trading guys in order to free up money, which they have to do because when Francisco Lindor comes up in, was it three years, I think, where he can become a free agent? It's either two or three. I can't remember if he was a super two. Um, I don't believe he was, but whatever the case, when Lindor is a free agent, as it goes right now, Cleveland would have no chance at affording him. So you've seen them open up and say that they'll, they're willing to trade Kluber. They know that they've got some holes on the roster. Uh, they're not really fit at this particular juncture as we saw in the postseason to compete with Houston and Boston. So while I think that they're going to want to maintain the status of leading the AL Central, that's not going to be really hard to do. So I think that this is a time where you, you can target those guys, whether it's Trevor Bauer maybe uh, or Corey Kluber is the big name or 
Danny Salazar or Carlos Carrasco or whoever, I don't think that they have a particular hold on anybody on that team aside from Lindor and Jose Ramirez. No, I think you're right. And Kluber is the one that he's the one that everybody's going to want. And uh, if Cleveland is looking to shed payroll, which certainly certainly looks like they are, I mean, that's $53 million over the next three years. This is for, this is for a guy that is going to give you 200 plus innings. Wins and losses are, you know, they're probably not the best thing to be basic pitcher value on, unless you're looking at something extreme. Like if a dude loses 31 games, you pay attention to that. (laughs) Well, then he'd Um, have the supporting numbers there to say that he's just not very good. Well, right, but but Kluber's on the other side to where he's gonna he's gonna win you anywhere between 17 and 20 every year, and uh, there are very few guys that I would be willing to full on back up the truck for. Corey Kluber is one of those guys. I agree. I think Kluber is a top three or four pitcher in all of baseball. Uh, you talk about yeah. Degrom. Degrom certainly is number one for me this year. I say that even with the year that Chris Sale had, I felt Degrom had a better season, just with a worse team. Uh, I felt Degrom was the better pitcher of the two. Chris Sale, obviously, you can say it's one A and one B at this point, or if you want to tie them at one A, whatever. But I would say Degrom, Sale, and Kluber are probably mine. Who I'd say, you know, you can throw something like Verlander in there, but I've got something against the Astros guys. Um, when you're that obvious with your pine tarring, which, by the way, if you don't think that pine tar makes a difference for pitchers, uh, go check out what Trevor Bauer did at Bauer Outage on Twitter. He put up a whole spreadsheet showing the pitches he was throwing without pine tar, with pine tar, and with different substances. And it really does have a huge effect. And I'm not saying that because I hate the use of pine tar for pitchers. Uh, it's just at the point where it's quote-unquote illegal and the most allowed illegal thing ever. That until it's legalized, then you know it's obviously an unfair advantage. I'm going to knock you for it. But I agree with you. Kluber's the guy that I'd be eyeballing. I'd be backing up for. It's going to cost a lot because he's controlled for the next three years. He's a little bit older. He's 32 or 33. Um, mm-hmm. But we talked about this a little before the show. He's not really slowing down. There's not a lot of mileage on that arm. Kluber was a really late starter. I believe he was 28 when he first really broke into to being Corey Kluber, 28 or 29, where he really kind of started to blossom. So there's not as much mileage on that arm as you would assume. He's a big body. He doesn't live off velocity. He's got a ton of movement on his pitches, and he just knows how to pitch as well. To me, if you add a Kluber, you've instantly made yourself one of the top two teams in the National League, and that's just with your pitching staff because now you've anchored it. Now you can move everybody else into an order where they actually kind of belong, where Mike Fultonevich as a two is much better than Mike Fultonevich as a number one. So now you go into you know, you go into a, a series where you go Kluber, Fulte, and then say Gosman or Soroka or whoever you want to do, probably Gosman. Then you've got at least two highly legitimate chances of winning those games, and it, and it should help you out. I would say that Kluber is probably a five-win type of pitcher, which is a big deal as a pitcher, five to seven. Um, I, and I, I would just be ecstatic. I don't know where you draw the line. Where would you draw it? As far as cost? Yeah. Um, he's the only one I would consider giving up Pache for. Okay, um, that was going to be my question. I was wondering, would you deal Pache in a deal for Kluber? Well, you ultimately hope you can, um, you know, you don't want... Johan Camargo changed the the Austin Riley calculus to where he's not expendable because he's still, he's still a hell of a baseball player, but he can be used as a little bit more of a chip. Um, 
with the rebuild having been built around pitching and there, I mean, there's so many, like if Cleveland is not, they're not trying to like full on rebuild, they're just looking to retool. retool. I mean, you, you've got the guys like Freed, Wright, Wilson, even Newcomb who are like right here and ready to contribute now. And it's, you know, you're paying them 575 grand instead of 17 million. So uh, that's almost like a lateral move for them. That, that's just as much of a win for Cleveland. So if you can build something off of the off of the pitching, because the Braves have a surplus, you know they're they're not going to be able to use it all. So um, I'd give up just about anything for for Kluber. Well, I- and as as far as individual players go, I'm not talking about let's do an eight for one or something. Let's not let's not get weird. But let's let's uh, say this. Would you say that it would need to be a three player or a four for one? Uh, hmm. That would I'd say that if you're going to lean heavily on the minor league side, then you could four. do four. If you're doing major league, then probably three. You could probably build around like Ender, maybe because Cleveland needs outfielders, um, especially with Brantley leaving. Right, right, and and they they could sign somebody. They could sign. They signed Leonis Martin, so that's their center fielder. That's right, and uh, and. You know, I think I had uh, Pollock going to the Indians when we when we did our predictions. So, uh, but that's still that's only uh, that leaves them in need of an outfielder. So I think you could build build a deal around uh, around an ender type. But uh, ultimately, I, I would much prefer to use pitching instead of getting rid of get a Pache. I would rather get rid of Riley first. But if Cleveland wasn't willing to budge, then I would probably do that. I'm here's what I'm looking at. You can tell me if I'm kind of off base, but I'm thinking something built around. Newcomb, probably a Kyle Wright, an Austin Riley, and then maybe a Kyle Muller, someone who's going to be not quite the the top level of the Braves guys, but you don't. I doubt they're going to take a lottery pick pitcher like Wiscari Noah is not going to be the guy that pushes the deal over the top. Um, right. But something like that might be what I'm thinking of. If you're going pitching heavy, I do think you're going to have to deal one of your guys that's in the rotation now. And I think that Newcomb would be the obvious choice because I think his trade value is probably higher than Freed's, even though I think they're essentially the same guy. Uh, and I think that Max could step into Newcomb's spot almost seamlessly. I think that that would be a guy for Cleveland to, to say, all right, we've got our guy here. Kyle Wright is, is essentially ready. There's still a few things that he needs to iron out with his command, but Cleveland does wonders for command for pitchers and working with a guy like Trevor Bauer and Cleveland's organization as a whole, working with Terry Francona, that seems to help guys with command issues a lot, almost like you're working with Ray Searage or Mickey Calloway. Um, I think that I, I don't know if that's too light. Uh, what do you think? I mean, I feel like I just got punched in the guts. So that's probably a really good <laughs> trade. You That's know, the hard I mean, thing like, about these. You don't want to give up any of your top guys, but I feel I would I will be a little surprised if Austin Riley is still in the Braves organization come uh, opening day. I think I, I probably will be surprised by that too. And and whether it's it's to get a guy like Kluber or Bumgarner or Paxton or or any of the other guys that are available. Like I said, the this Camargo thing that was that was unexpected. So. Um, unless they're planning on transitioning somebody into the outfield, which I s- still think is kind of a long shot, then yeah, I mean you have you have good assets, and they've been they've been talking Riley up a lot, and so you you got to wonder like are they how much do they do they really love this guy? Or are they just saying they love this guy? 
that they love this guy more than they actually do because they're trying to build interest in him or make it seem like you're really prying away one of my most prized assets. So, I think if they were trying to do that, then you could obviously sell you sell Austin Riley as a Josh Donaldson type. It's what you sell him as a 30-plus home run guy uh, where if he cuts on the strikeouts, he'll hit 270. I don't think he's going to do it. I think he's a 255 type of guy. But Austin has a ton of value just on his own. The, the question is, and the thing about, you know, you don't want to give up super, super valuable players. The thing is, can you take the hit value-wise to add at a position that you don't have another thing at? And, you know, you can say the Braves are super deep in pitching. The problem is you're not super deep as far as top end, like number one type of guys. You've got two, maybe three, who could potentially be potentially be a number one. Ian Anderson is the one that I think is the most likely to be a number one. But aside from that, you've got Tukey, who potentially could be if he irons out his command. The real question is if he irons out his command enough for, for him to be a number one type of guy. Uh, and then you've got Soroka, if he manages to maintain all of his stuff. Ideally, I'm not sure that Soroka is that top-end guy either. I think Ian Anderson is your most logical choice. That's the one guy this offseason that I wonder about. He's still far enough away that I think that the Braves would would still be willing to deal him if it came to terms about getting a Corey Kluber uh, or even even a Paxton or a Bumgarner. I think that Ian is a guy that they might be willing to deal just because he's still at least two years away. I would be more hesitant about moving Ian Anderson than moving any other pitcher, though. I wonder how much of the of promoting Bryce and Kyle, like getting everybody, like cramming them into the rotation when there wasn't even room to begin I with. I think that had a lot to do it? with it, by the way. I think that that, was, oh, a, that sure. was a concerted move to show teams, hey, these guys, even though they're pitching in double and triple A, they're ready for the majors. We just have no spots for them. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that'll carry a lot of weight. You know, the fact that, that Bryce Wilson got up and got some time and – yeah, he got beat around a little bit after that first start, but you know what? He's got he's got some of that experience. His, his cherry has been popped. So, um, I think Bryce that, is more locked to stay with the Braves. By the way, I think that Bryce has more value to the current team than what he would bring back in a trade. Because I still don't think I don't think Bryce is looked at on that same level as a Kyle Wright or a Tukey or anybody like that. I think that he's kind of looked at still as as you know a little bit lesser because he doesn't have the draft pedigree behind him. Because even coming up. Despite the numbers, he's still kind of a quiet rise as a prospect. He didn't really get that same bump that, holy crap, look at what this guy's doing outside of Braves country. So I think Bryce is a guy that I would pencil in as a guy that's going to be here for a while. And that's that's great. You know, the good news about getting all the all those pitching prospects is that even though you have to let some of them go, like you wind up keeping a lot of a lot of the good ones. You know what I mean? So and who knows? Kyle Wright could get traded and go and become Adam Wainwright, or Bryce Wilson could stay and become the next Adam Wainwright. So, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm itchy now. There's like, uh, <laughs> after the, the GM meetings where it's like, you know, the seeds have been planted. Now it's like, oh, God, any minute now, you know, I'm going to go look at my phone. There's going to be 600 notifications. You know, Braves acquire. Corey Kluber, and then it's going to be getting blown up from every single person who's watched the Braves game in the last eight years. Oh my God, I'm just so excited. Well, you I mentioned uh, you mentioned Bumgarner and you mentioned Paxton and passing. I want to talk about those two because I think Corey Kluber would cost the most. I think that yes. you and I would also agree that he's by far the best of the three. Yes. My question would be: We've already said what we think a Bumgarner package would cost, and now that they've got a new guy running things, they've got the they've got one of the Dodgers guys. I think that that would make them more inclined 
to trading Bumgarner. I wonder if Bumgarner would be more of a trade deadline piece as opposed to an offseason move because the Giants are always going to see what they can do in that division before they totally sell off. But Bumgarner, I think, would probably be the cheapest acquisition of the three just because it's already been said that he's going to test free agency. He's already said that he's testing free agency. So you don't have that carrot on a stick of, well, maybe he'll sign an extension because teams don't really trade for a, a hypothetical extension. Teams trade for what's on the clock now and then work towards it. Uh, I think Bumgarner is essentially going to cost you Sean Newcomb. He's going to cost you. That's the one that I think that would cost you Ender because I think that if you know the the Giants can ever completely go into a rebuild, maybe with the new GM it'll be different. But uh, or a new president of, of baseball ops, we'll see. But they're they're generally not a, a rebuilding type team, so I think Ender would help them. Paxton is the question mark to me. Because Paxton is an extremely talented pitcher, but there are real durability concerns with Paxton. Uh, we were talking before that he hit his his mark, his high mark in innings pitched this year at 160. Uh, but we all saw the perfect game in Canada. We all know that Paxton is, when he's healthy, he's one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball. And we know that Jerry Depoto is very impatient, and Jerry Depoto loves to trade. They've already made a trade. Uh, they reacquired Malik Smith. So I do – I wonder what a package for purely Paxton would be because it seems to be, if you believe the reports, that they're pretty much – they're open to selling everybody that's not Hanniger or a couple others. So I do wonder, what do you think it would take to acquire Paxton? DePoto is such a wild card, but he has got, got to know that – I mean, okay, first off, it's it makes sense for them to kind of blow it up. Because, you know, the Astros, the A's might not win 97 again next year, but the Astros will probably win 103 again. You know, like the, right. the Mariners path to contention is is very, very muddy. So it's a good thing for them. But also, I think that DePoto knows that their farm system is really, really, really bad. So I think that you could you could make a, make a prospect laden deal there i don't think that you would necessarily have to come off with any big league pieces and based on the fact that paxton has got how much control does he have like two three years i think it's two you know but i'm not 100 percent on that and he, he's when he's healthy he's great but then you do have that lengthy injury history i don't see that being like a gigantic outlay as far as capital goes to get him am, am i off base there do you think that it would be just a crazy deal for him well if they're not going to trade hanniger Paxton is the one with the most trade value. So I think that DePoto would be wary of giving up a guy, of giving up his best piece for not top value because it would affect every other deal that he could make. Paxton and Segura are the two best players that could potentially be moved, and Paxton is more valuable than Segura. I think for the Braves, Paxton would make sense because even if you even if you mark down that, like let's say he's healthier than usual. Uh, outside of the rainy atmosphere of Washington, and he gets to 175 innings. The Braves have the horses to deal with a couple missed starts from Paxton or to skip him in the rotation a time or two to keep him a little bit healthier. The Braves can afford to do that. The question is, how does that affect the price? Because if you're talking about pure talent, there's not a super, there's not a wide gap between Paxton and Kluber as far as pure arm talent goes. The real differentiator between the two is durability. So I still think it's going to cost you Toppin. I think any deal that the Braves make with Seattle, whether that be for Paxton or whether in my perfect world it's for Segura, 
it's going to cost you Austin Riley because they need a third baseman. They're not sold on Kyle Seager, especially after last season. I think they've been looking to deal him and get out from under his contract. It's going to cost you Austin Riley. The question is, what else does it cost you? Does it cost you Austin Riley and Kyle Muller and Joey Wentz or Luis Gohara or somebody like that? Or does it cost you Austin Riley, Kyle Wright, and a Kyle Muller? Because if it's going to cost you close or, or almost exactly the same as a Kluber deal without the in, in, in the inclusion of a fourth piece, then I would still go with Kluber. If it would cost you significantly less, like if it were if it were going to cost you you know three players and only one of them from the top 100 type of, of deal, then that would be a one that I would really keep an eye on because I think that would fit Alex's mo. If yeah, for me, like if I, if I'm getting getting that deep into the into the prospects, then I'm just going hard after Corey Kluber. Paxton Paxton is great, but I, I would I would prefer the. I would prefer the guy who's got uh, who's like an actual horse. I would agree. Know? I would prefer Kluber. My only thing on that is everybody's going to be after Corey Kluber. So yeah, true. you're you're not going to be bidding against yourself. You're going to be bidding against everybody else as well. I think Paxton is a phenomenal fallback uh, if that were the case, and I hope that that's what we see. the The stove is most definitely being lit and watched by everybody in Braves country. It should be fun and also extremely annoying because we are going to be tuned in on it every day because there we can see specific needs out there. There's already some some reports that the Braves are checking in on Michael Brantley, which would make me extremely happy. Um, there's, there's a few different things that you're looking at, especially when you talk about trade market-wise, because we all know that the Braves have to do something to thin out this pitching gluttony. It's great to have all these arms. The problem is you start to lose value on the arms if you've got so many that you don't have a spot for them. So you're going to see some people moved. The question is what they add. Everybody wants to look at Bryce Harper, who turned down the Nationals offer in season, as we found out, of a 10-year, $300 million deal with no opt-outs, which I think was the key there, which I've said all along, if the Braves are going to be able to get Harper, the key is going to be the opt-outs. As you and I have mentioned, we don't mind making him the highest paid per value per season player in baseball as long as you have it set up to where the contract is done before Acuna and Albies need to be extended, which is six years. So right now, all reports are that the Phillies are the main contender for Bryce Harper. It doesn't shock me at all. Uh, it seems like a pretty Phillies move. My question would be, do you think that uh, that the Braves are able to swoop in and do, or somebody else is able to swoop in? Because it looks like the Dodgers want to remain under the luxury tax threshold for the next four seasons. So does that change who's the number one competitor in your eyes? His market is really, I mean, we're, we're not very deep into the offseason at all. So some of this is obviously posturing. But everywhere you look, all of the different, Teams that were that were long projected to be the landing spots, the Cubs, and all the Cubs aren't spending money. The Giants, well, the Giants say that they're not even interested. The Yankees, they might as well have released a statement. They were just like, right. we're not signing Bryce Harper. Okay, right. you know, the Dodgers want to stay under the luxury tax. The, the Cardinals could afford him, but apparently they they're not as interested. Direction. Apparently they're not as interested as as there was made out. Now that could be them slow playing, but. Reports are that they're not as high on him as as everybody else has maintained that they are. Right. So so the Phillies obviously have uh, have the upper hand in this, and I mean they they have so much money. But uh, but I don't I don't know. I think that this is probably a chillier reception than Scott Boris was expecting, especially since he came out with the whole Harper's Bazaar thing. 
and talking about you know 400 to 500 million dollars worth of true value like man those days i know last year was kind of strange but i don't think i just don't think that's gonna happen unfold that way you know i mean well me and you have already said this if you're talking about 500 million dollar true value it still seems to be the smarter option to take a shorter deal with a high high annual value let trout reset the market and then go back onto free agency when you're still in your prime like if if bryce harper ends up signing a 10 a 10 year deal i'm sure there'll be an opt-out included but if he signs a 10-year deal i think that's a really bad move i i think that that teams like the Braves are are at an advantage here. I think that he can still wind up getting super high AAV and and not maybe not wind up getting four hundred million dollar deal. But if somebody's willing to go five for two hundred, then right five for two hundred or six yeah five for two hundred with an opt out. Uh, maybe even you build in two opt outs there, an opt out after the third, and opt out after the after the fourth. Maybe if you want to do it that way, I think that that would be very enticing because then right. you've got Harper betting on himself. Every superstar baseball player is arrogant enough to think that they're going, they're never going to fall, that they're always going to be elite. So, I, to me, it just makes too much sense. Whether that happens or not, we'll never know. You'll have five thousand, and you'll never know if the Braves are actually in on it because John Heyman will tell you that they're not, just because he's pissed off at the Braves for not shelling out a ton of money for Mike Mustakis last year. Because There's, he's still mad about that. Well, it's just because that Boris is his entire source of information, and Boris is the one. I'm convinced Boris is the one that started the entire report that the Braves were in on Mustakis. When I don't think the Braves ever were for anything into double digits. No, I, I think that they wanted him very, very low. I mean, everybody wanted Moustakis at super low. Because he does year, one thing. It, or before last season, he did one thing, which was hit homers. That was it. Like, didn't get on yeah, base, I'm, didn't walk, didn't play defense, blah, blah, blah. But it's it's setting up to be really, really interesting because there are players out there. Like, it's I don't know that, it, that the free agency is a super deep one. I don't think it is. Last year, everybody was making out that this was the best free agent class ever. It might be at the top end. But as far as overall depth, there's not a ton of depth there. There's a there's a lot of depth at relief pitcher. I'll say that, which helps the Braves because reports are that the Braves are looking for a closer, which obviously makes everybody look at Craig Kimbrell. Um, I would not sign Craig Kimbrell to the deal that's being reported. There's you know the the quote out there is is that Kimbrell wants to be the highest paid closer ever uh, because he is at least statistically speaking the best closer of all time. That is not a deal that I would do if I'm the Braves. I would, as I've said multiple times, I'd go Dries Familia. I think you'd get him a fair bit cheaper. He's not quite Craig Kimbrell. You know, he's, he's I'd put him close to a par with Rysel Iglesias, maybe not quite on Iglesias level, but right there, better than what you've got uh, and significantly cheaper because I don't always buy into the fact that you have to get a top-notch closer. I think that those are guys that you can develop in your system. We've already seen that Sabaka has a lot of good tendencies if he can kind of control – some pitches a little bit more, but that was a great look. Thomas Burroughs, who we talked about, is a guy that profiles back there. Any of these starters, like a Gohara or, God forbid, a Tuki, if they get moved to the pin, that's their look there too. A.J. Minter, you talk about, he might be that guy as well. A closer is not something that I'm looking to, to spend a ton of money on. Well, we were talking about Corey Kluber and how he's going to make $17 million next year. If Kimbrell wants to be the highest-paid reliever, then I think that Aroldis Chapman was five years, $86 million. So you're looking at probably about $17, $18 million for Craig Kimbrell to pitch one-fifth of the amount that Corey Kluber would pitch for you. Um, 
you know, Kimbrel it really is a feel good story. But uh, to give that much money, like say, let's say that, that they do have sixty million dollars on the books, and you're going to wind up giving a third of that to a guy that's going to just pitch one inning, or he's you know he's going to pitch four or five innings a week, um, and a guy who is going to start his decline if he hasn't started it already. Right. It's. I think that if Craig Kimbrell had never pitched for the Braves, a lot more people would be saying hell no. And if Craig Kimbrell were twenty six. I think that you'd right. be getting a different idea there, but he's not. He's getting into that decline phase, and really, and relievers as a whole are so volatile that there's a few that you shell out big deals for, like Andrew Miller. I fully expect to get a big deal, even with last year being a bad season for him. But Andrew Miller has proven over the course of time that when healthy, he's worth a lot of money because he's in a lot and he's used versatile in a lot of different ways. That's the difference. If you're talking about a closer, you're talking about a guy that literally only comes in if you're already winning. So it's a little bit different. Yeah, and and even then, the the meaningfulness of of his actual role. I mean, it's it's not. I don't know. That's a that's a very niche role to be giving somebody ten um, percent of your payroll, or and, more more so for the for the Braves. And for what's made out, payroll. what's made out from the Braves' options, everybody acts like the Braves' closing situation was horrible. They really weren't. They were still, you know, I think it was right around seventh in the league. Uh, they 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 weren't bad as far as, you know, converting closes, but that that's, you know, where you see a blown save, you go, oh, well, Kimbrell would have saved that. Maybe, most likely. Edwin Diaz would have saved that. Most likely. But you're talking about an instance of five to seven times a year, really, where you're bringing that up. And to me, that's not worth shelling out $17 million a year. Well, and I wonder how many times uh, Craig Kimbrell blew saves this year that somebody was thinking, man, A.J. Mentor would have closed this game out. Zero. Hmm. So that's that's too bad, but you know who knows? Maybe if there's another surge in payroll and they can bump it up to uh, to a hundred million open dollars going into the season, well then yeah, then you then you sign Craig Kimbrell. But we'll not we'll just turn off we'll turn off salary cap. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just make it a free for all. But and it's going to be interesting because the Braves just hired somebody else to be a special assistant to Alex Anthopoulos. They just brought in Mike Fast, who uh, comes in from the Astros organization, is one of the top analytical minds. That kind of leads me to believe that there's there's almost no way that they're going to go into a super high deal for a position that volatile. That's something that Houston has avoided doing and something that most smart teams really avoid doing. Boston did it, but that's because it's Boston and they have the excess money to be able to do it. The Braves don't have that, so I don't expect to see them do that. It does make me wonder, though, I wonder if it will affect the other signings that we do this offseason. If we're going to see some guys that aren't quite on the same talent level but will be more cost effective. Where I'm really interested here, because you know, he was, yeah, director of research and development for the Astros. He he ran their analytics department. And he was one of the first to really bring pitch framing into the forefront, to bring tangible results and say, this really is important. This really does work. So for a team that's looking at guys like Real Muto and especially Yasmani Grandal, who is who's the yeah, so this guy just happens to be one of the best framers in the game. So I I don't think that, that Fast and Grandall are connected per se, but I think that if Grandall signs, then I think you could make the, make the case that they, that they might be kind of connected there. Or to look at a guy like Real Muto and say, um, his framing metrics are nothing to write home about. So we but can fix the type of thing. Like, how teachable is that as a skill? So 
I don't know. This something about this move feels really significant. Like out of all of how much have you heard about Houston's analytics department over the past couple of years? That's true. And it's it's it seems to be that these kind of small fly fly on the wall type of moves, like, oh, they added a special assistant to Anthopolis. Those seems to be the moves that make the most significant impact, aside from, you know, oh, we signed Mike Trout. Uh, that's a little bit different. But as far as bringing in somebody like that, it does – I, I agree with you. I think it goes two ways. Either it means that you're, that you're going after Grandall and there is, you know, a relationship there with Anthopolis being in L.A. So Anthopolis got to see it up close. But it also could go down the road of he can help the catchers – learn how to be better framers or at least show the coaches how to teach them to be a better framer, which would tie into JT Real Muto. And the conflicting reports on Real Muto seem to be, if you listen to Craig Mish, who reported the Ozuna deal and the Stanton deal or the Yelich deal, one of the two. He, he reported two of the deals last year before they officially got announced. According to him, the Braves have an offer on the table for JT Real Muto. Uh, of a high-end arm and a pitching prospect, which essentially I think we could we can assume safely if it's anything like it was during the season. Apparently during the season it was Mike Soroka and Austin Riley offered for JT Romuto and the Marlins turned it down. I would safely assume that it would be something similar to that deal. You and I have talked about this before. I do not want to see Mike Soroka go at all in a deal for JT Romuto. I'm not the biggest Romuto fan in the world, but if it's really a two-for-one, then that's that's a straight up steal, uh, and I do that all day. I would prefer it to be Kyle Wright and not Mike Soroka because I want to keep Soroka. But essentially, I think that that is what you're looking at. My question to you is, Doc, who do you believe? Because I believe uh, it was Heyman who came out and said there is no deal in place. Um, Gabe, friend of the program, said that as of right now, when he was talking to Alex Anthopoulos, no deals have been discussed at the GM winter meetings. Where do you fall on this? Because I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I would assume that GMs, when they tell you that no players have been discussed, that they're lying. Uh, I think that there's always deals being discussed, period. My, I, I, I wonder what the offer is, if we've made a formal offer or not, or if it's more just kind of talking like, hey, would you do that? Or, hey, would you be interested? I, I kind of wonder about whether or not – I don't – I don't think that uh, Anthopolis called Jeter and said, oh, yeah, hey, by the way, um, you know, I, I would like to offer you Mike Soroka and Austin Riley again for JT Real Muto. It might have just been something where they, they ran into each other in the lobby at the, at the GM meetings like, hey, is that deal still on? Yeah, sure, if you're interested. And then they just kept on walking past each other. It wasn't like a, a conscious effort to map out a, a trade proposal or anything like that. So, I mean, we know we know they've talked in the past, and, and I'm sure that there there have been a lot of discussions, probably beyond just uh, acquiring a real Muto, maybe looking at a guy like Steckenrider or even like, uh, I don't know, Dan Straley, just to, <laughs> just to plug Please in. Please still on like, Dan Straley. Uh, a long, long relief and possible seventh starter, if uh, if need be. We're looking at uh, Tehran Guerrero just to hit people. Like that's that's his only role. Well, yeah, you know, and for for a guy like uh, Straley, you know, you'd feel better about having him around than than Luke Jackson. So, um, so I'm sure there have been discussions in uh, in the past about this, and that are still probably uh, just on hold for right now, but. I don't think that it was an outright attempt to deceive, but no, I don't think it was anything new. How do you feel about that deal if it is Soroka and Riley for, for Rio Muto? I find it really interesting that Soroka was being discussed 
in the trade discussions. Uh, yeah, I think that's kind of – I don't want to say that's a steal, but f- for two top 100 guys, for somebody who is legitimately the best player at his position, uh, yeah, I think that's probably – that's probably a good thing. I've said on past, past episodes that I, I don't want to give up the the prospect package it would take to necessarily get Real Muto, but uh, if it's just two, well, that's a lot more palatable than like. It's a lot different. Uh, we were assuming yeah. four because the yeah. Nationals or yeah. the Nationals tried hard to get Real Muto last year, and the Marlins actually turned down Juan Soto because they wanted Robles. You know, this is how you wind up with Lewis Brinson as your number one. <laughs> well, and you know what? Hot take alert. I still think that Lewis Brinson is a good player and is a guy that could still work out. It doesn't look as good this year, but guess what, folks? Yelich was not going to win the MVP as a Marlin this year. Lewis Brinson and Monty Harrison, those are still two very talented players, okay? I still think Brinson can turn it around. He just might not be ready right now. And uh, I, I'm not sure what level of turnover there has been in the Marlins front office as far as who's going to wind up making these player evaluations. So uh, Brinson is still a good player, and, and Harrison is uh, is a tool shed in that same uh, Izzy Wilson mold. But um, I don't know. Maybe there will be some type of similar deal where the, the team that is sending the, the prospects saying, yeah, well, at least we got we got this guy in return. My whole point on that, like, and this is off off script a little bit, and we're going to end the show here soon. But my my whole point on that is people are, are banging on the Yelich deal, and yes, if you're looking revisionist style, it was a horrible deal. You just gave up the MVP for a guy that was a colossal failure in his first year, and a guy that is so raw that it's probably going to be another year or two before, probably two three years before he's an actual contributor. Probably another year and a half before he's on the club. But when you looked at the three when they were being dealt. Nobody would have told you that Yelich had more value than Marcelo Zuna after coming off the seasons that they had. Everybody would have told you Ozuna should bring back the biggest package. So I'm not going to fault them necessarily for that one. When they made the deal, I thought it was a touch light, but not anything crazy. Like it's not, you know, it's not Ender, Dansby, and Aaron Blair for Shelby Miller. Which, in retrospect, that trade is not nearly as lopsided as it as it once appeared. Right, so. it's not the Teixeira deal. That one was pretty lopsided. Where you gave up four all stars for yeah. a year and a half of a guy. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. Now that at we've least, <laughs> at least eventually, Teixeira wound up in the. Isn't that connected to to Mike Trout? Like that wound up. I'm sure there's some connection there. But speaking of Mike Trout, the last thing we're going to talk about today. Who was it that you, you were talking about to me about this earlier today? There was uh, somebody out there who who said that the Angels should trade Mike Trout this year. Yeah, and and I think it was Ken Rosenthal that had the article that came out a couple couple weeks ago, uh, two months ago, something about that, talking about you know what type of bounty they could really get for him and how hard it is to actually gauge his value because how often do you have a conversation about trading the best player in the game, like hands down the best player in the game? Like, no question. For anybody that wants to run any question mark, like, no, you're dumb. There is no comparison. And people can talk yeah. about Mookie this year. Mookie was a phenomenal player. Trout's better. Well, Trout's been doing it for half a decade, too. Right. Seven years, so, and it's been an incredible seven years. Yeah, he's Mike Trout is a freak. And so, and the Angels, like, okay, we were talking about the Mariners, how they need to retool. You know, the the AL West right now is a war zone, and the 
Angels are are worse off than than the Mariners are. I mean, they they won seventy something games last year. So if I were if I were the Angels, I would trade Trout. But there's so few teams that could actually absorb that type of that type of hit that it would take to actually get him. Because you're you're talking multiple top <laughs> prospects. You're talking about and, three or four top one hundreds at least. And and quality major leaguers that you could plug in immediately. And I think the I mean, the Braves are one of like maybe three, three teams. teams. I was about to say maybe three teams that could conceivably do that and fit in with the cap space. Yeah, they could. They could actually swing that. So if I'm the Angels, I'm trading Mike Trout to the Braves, and then I'm turning around and immediately signing Bryce Harper with the money that just got freed up. Now that would be an interesting turnabout. The question would be, would Bryce do that? Um, but. <laughs> That would be interesting, as I've already stated before. If the Braves sign Mike Trout, I'll be getting a tattoo. I'll be live streaming a tattoo from the TPS account. Um, I'll be I'll be there for that. <laughs> just, you can you can count on that. Just imagining a trade package that it would take to get a Mike Trout. You know that there's two years, and there's a you've got to figure there's a significant chance you're not re-signing him. So quote unquote, that would take the value down. But when you're talking about a guy like Trout, when you're talking about taking the value down, so you've taken it from five top 100 players to four like that would that would be somebody that's legitimately going to cost you probably two of your top two or three of your top seven or eight prospects plus an end uh, i yeah i i had mentioned that there's pretty much nobody i wouldn't give up for Corey kluber uh, i would go out of my way to overpay for mike trout like as long as it was not ronald acuna because i think ronald acuna is the only person unless it were a deal straight up like one for one, which is never going to happen with Mike Trout. Like no. other than that, Ronald Acuna is like the only name that will be off the books. Literally every other person you have that conversation. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. You want Ozzy Albies? Yeah. <laughs> Please. Yeah. Take him. You want, give me, give you want Freddie? Trout. You want Freddie? Sure. Does that mean that I get to keep five other prospects? Sure. Huh. Well, you know, maybe, uh, maybe we could take on Albert Pujols contract to lessen the prospect value. Uh, if you're taking on Albert Pujols' contract in addition, <laughs> that turns into one for two, and I'm giving up one player. Well, no, and that's uh, you know that that's sixty million dollars incoming from from LA, so that eats the entire payroll. You better right. be damn that <laughs> with the rest of your right. Roster. You don't want to tell Trout, hey, we just gave up everything, so we're basically going to be the Angels for you here. No, that would be yeah. a deal that you make banking on winning a World Series while he's here. Oh, no question that that is. The all-in move. I mean, it's really interesting. And I think the other question would be, if you see the Phillies start going hard for that, as a Braves fan, I almost feel like you have to just to block the Phillies from getting him. There's a very real possibility that Mike Trout is going to be a Philly in two years. Um, anything that we can do to delay that, maybe make him fall in love with Atlanta, build him a statue next to Bobby Cox. Right. Uh, pay him whatever. every money in the world. Pay him all the money. Build it. Start a GoFundMe just for his salary. That might not be a bad idea. We should probably get on that. <laughs> I think that that's a pretty brilliant move. And it's it's an interesting thought. When you're talking about the Angels, they need everything. Their bullpen sucks. Their starting rotation sucks. Their prospects suck. Their starting lineup kind of sucks. Like they've got Justin Upton, who they're still paying a ton of money for. And if they ever want if they want to trade him, they're gonna have to eat at least a third of that contract. Angleton is about the only one that they've got outside of Trout that's that's still supremely valuable. And like I, I think that they should have rebuilt a couple years ago. But as it is, it'll be interesting because Mike Trout's the type of guy that you can't really just talk about the baseball cost. 
Like that PR hit would be a significant hit. Oh, no question about it. No question about yeah, you don't just go trading Mike Trout. I mean like yeah, you don't do that. Right. And that's for a team that like not many people go to watch. If they trade Trout, no one will show up. Not a soul. Not even the parents of the other players will show up. Like that <laughs> no one's showing up. They're all gonna go on strike. But I think it would still be worth talking to them about. You always got to talk about it. It's interesting to see because it, it's such an unheard of thing. Like you don't see it in football, basketball. Maybe you see it because the trade deadline trade deals in basketball get a little funky, but you don't see it happen in baseball where the definitive best player in the game gets moved. They stay with their teams forever and their teams pay them a bunch of money to stay there forever. But with trout, it is different because he's on a team that is not competing. So the value of having the best player in baseball is kind of reduced a little bit because we've got the best player ever, but our team is so bad around him that it's not affecting anything uh, outside of ticket gate at the ballpark. Whereas you can say, if we rebuild and we get, if we turn into, you know, getting a top two or three farm system, now all of a sudden we get playoff revenue in four or five years, something like that. So it is interesting. Uh, But in conclusion, Mike Trout's going to be a brave. I'm going to have a new tattoo. It'll be live streamed on here. Uh, AFL looks fun. Braxton Davidson, still not a prospect. Uh, Christian Pache, we both love him. It's going to be a fun, fun offseason, folks. We hope that you stay here with us for it all. We thank you guys so much. Hope you enjoyed the show this week. Doc, I will talk to you again next week, sir. Probably won't even be that long, buddy. I will talk to you soon. Probably as soon as this show ends, we'll keep talking about it. To everybody else out there, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Make sure you're subscribing on all the platforms. You know where we are. Follow us on Twitter at TBS underscore podcast. Follow us on Facebook. Give the Facebook page a little bit of love, people. Thank you guys so much, and thank you, and I hope you enjoy the Platinum Sombrero. Thanks, bye.